0: You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Yes, Todd mentioned, next week is Easter, and the week before Easter is Palm Sunday. And let me explain a little bit about that. I didn't grow up in a religious background. I didn't grow up Christian. I didn't grow up really knowing a lot of the Christian calendar Uh, But I think it's important for us to kind of know a little bit about what's going on. Prior to the resurrection of Jesus, which is a week from today, technically speaking, um, we know that the week before that is Passover uh, Sunday and Palm Sunday. and Really, the story behind that, it comes from a prophecy in Zechariah, where the Bible says that your Messiah will come sitting on a donkey. And it's very symbolic. It's not a horse which symbolizes war, but that your Messiah will come in a lowly donkey. The Son of God, very symbolic, coming into the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, sitting on a donkey. And the thing that Jesus taught was so radical and so authoritative that people understood what was going on with this man to a degree. The authorities during that week was really nervous as well because they thought that Jesus was going to start an uproar. So the symbolism in the donkey is not lost in all of the, the context of the week itself. But it's, it's always fascinating and it amazes me that Jesus would come on a donkey. The Son of God would come into the city on a donkey. And the Bible says that when he came in, people would lay palms ...on the street to welcome their God and their King. And it was going to be a traumatic week for Jesus... ...as He prepares Himself to go to the cross. You know, we've been studying out the book of Daniel... ...a few centuries before Jesus. And the title of our series is called... ...The Eye of the Storm, Thriving in Turbulent Times. I thought Rick did a fantastic job last week... ...teaching us how to handle pressure consistently... I'll tell them that the three of you guys clap for him, uh, as I call him today. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, so, Thriving in Turbulent Times, and that title itself is strategic. Okay? It's strategic, because we looked at Christianity from a historical point of view, and we see the struggle that this movement started off in. The great Roman Empire, and a few hundred years before that, these people of faith in the great Babylonian Empire. So these things happen not in a corner where it's ahistorical or just some, some things that people don't know about. These things happen in the middle of great kingdoms and great empires. And our brothers and sisters of faith, people who struggle with their faith, had to live in those times. We live today in relatively safety of America. This is, This is really... It's undistinguishable sometimes who's a real disciple, who's a Christian or not because it's just, there's no persecution. We live amongst, you know, we're preaching to the pews. Our struggle is not like what they went through but really it's more like, you know, maybe I should fast donuts for a week. You know, it's like that's kind of like the extent of our struggle sometimes. I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just saying that it's just a different time in some ways in which we live but I still think we can learn from it and also that's, it's, it's, not, it's not going to be like that all the time. We have our own unique struggles, and we go through our own problems. But the Bible teaches us not just to hang on, and not just to kind of eke our way through our faith, but the Bible actually teaches us to um, thrive as well. All right. Troubles come my way. The demons of computer. All right, there we go. And we see that from a biblical perspective too. That we live in a world that is fallen. We live in a world that is not just... You know, we don't live in a world that is just... Well, it's just the way it is. But the Bible talks about that. And it says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury... Because he knows that his time is short. We don't read these scriptures enough because we're in the 21st century, right? This is so old-fashioned. This is so King James talking about demons and the devil. I mean, that that stuff is relegated to, you know, movies and stuff like that. But the Bible talks about a spiritual warfare that we're a part of. And in Revelation 12, it says, Good news for the folks up in heaven because they just had a move out down into earth, and it's the devil himself. And I thought about that, and I go, what a bummer that we get to live in a world where the devil resides. And I think about that a lot. And even it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, where it's like, how can you call that paradise when there's a serpent roaming around trying to tempt people? And yet those are theological issues that we really think about in the sense that God allows us To be tempted, God allows us through temptation to really find ourselves and our faith, and to not only refine us, but to really forge our faith through it all as well. So the Bible doesn't it doesn't shield us from problems. As a matter of fact, we are thrown right into the midst of it, and I hope that we're in some ways encouraged by that, that we're not surprised by it. Amen. I love the scripture says. Rejoice in heaven! Bummer for you, earthlings. Uh, you got an unexpected evil guest coming your way. So the world today is evil. And I think anything short of thinking about that would be naive. You know, this past week, um, there was a gas attack, uh, in, um, I think, I think you gotta probably like do a little, yeah, every two minutes. Just for now. Um, There was a gas attack in Syria. Even terrible wars that exist today, our humanity tells us that that's pretty evil to gas somebody. And that's, according to the Geneva Convention, that is by all convention a a criminal act, even in war. But that particular act, and that's exactly what happened. This past week here, you know, uh, North Korea tested out some interballistic intercontinental ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles. And the significance of that is that you're not relegating these crazy folks to Pyongyang. These guys can export a nuclear-tipped missile to LA, to San Francisco. You know, right across the ocean there. And this is huge, It's it's, it's it's a dilemma. The point of all this is to really draw us into This global dilemma and this global drama that we live in. Hopefully it spurs us to really think about, you know, my gosh, I gotta really, I really gotta do better in terms of my relationship with God. I gotta really seek out who God is. You know, the dilemma here is that if you look at where Seoul is, a city of 15 million people plus, you can't just attack North Korea because there's massive, massive amounts of casualties in Seoul within the first hour of any attack into North Korea. It's it's a dilemma that we face today. I think this morning, as these Christians were worshipping Palm Sunday in Egypt, they were attacked as well. This is like fresh. This is like a few hours ago uh, near Egypt where 36 people, worshippers, died from bombs exploding in the church uh, in Egypt. So we live in an evil world. To bring it home a little bit, this past weekend, there was a guy who was disgruntled with some friends and some coworkers, and an equinox, um, I guess a workout place, went in and shot two of his co-workers to death. One is a 36-year-old woman. Another one is, is a man, and he himself committed suicide. So we don't forget what Revelations talk about. That we live in a world that is inhabited also by Satan himself. And that these things go on. How do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? Do we curl up into a little corner and be defensive all the time? Or do we thrive in this kind of world? Do we thrive in this kind of world? Where there is no vision, the people perish where there is no vision, that's the King James Version, where there's no vision, there's, when there's nothing greater than just the news, when there's nothing greater than just everyday living and fighting, what Rahm talked about today, more cars, more money, more more jobs, whatever, you know, people perish. Because as great as those things are, as we aggrandize all these things, it's going to come to an end. And the Bible teaches us to live for something greater, to see beyond, to have a compass that goes beyond what the world has to offer today. Where there is no vision, people die. What are we living for today? I love this picture in Daniel. You know, there's a lot of hokey religious art, but this is a good one, don't you think? You know, in Daniel, I think Daniel 6, he's thrown into the lion's den because he refused to bow down, what Rick talked about yesterday, he refused to bow down to the decrees of the king. He was thrown into the lion's den, and what did he do? He stood there and prayed. I think this is a pretty accurate depiction of Daniel himself. Because, why? Because I think he had a vision. He had a vision that went beyond this life. And he was so willing to go, you know what? This life is worth nothing to me. I consider that to be nothing to me. But I look forward to the future. He says, in my vision, Daniel 7... Don't forget, 1st chapter 1 to 6 is rooted in Babylon, in the intrigue of the day. He was right in the midst of the decision makers of, of great Babylon and the Persian Empire. And that's from 1 to 6. So that the Bible is not removed from reality. And yet, if that's all there was, that's done with. But in, from 7 to 12, he had these visions that God gave him of what was to come that I really think allowed him to make it through his day. He says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancients of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and all people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be Destroyed in the midst of captivity, in the midst of living in this world, he saw something greater than himself. He saw a kingdom where all people will stream to it. He saw a kingdom that the ruler will never be destroyed, and that kingdom itself will never be destroyed. And I want to ask us today what drives us every day? What gets us up early in the morning, like Rob talked about? What, what gets us up? What gets us up today, tomorrow, and the day after until it is done? It's got to be something greater. It's got to be something bigger than ourselves and what the world has to offer. I think that's one of the keys to being a great, faithful person, is seeing something greater than ourselves in our current situation. I think about Jesus. Matthew 4 is when he went through the temptation. This is the beginning of his ministry. We saw a picture of Palm Sunday. It was the end of his ministry. This is the beginning as he was getting himself ready. After 40 days of fasting, after 40 days in the desert, during that time, the devil came to him and offered him a piece of bread, which must have been the best-looking bread ever in the history of mankind, from one pair of eyes to to look at bestowed on on a piece of bread. And yet, look what he said. He says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We talked about being Christians, and we talked about being extravagant in our spirit, right? Maya Angelou, and we we talked about, how can we be like that? The only way we can be like that, like this, is to see something greater. To possess something greater in our hearts. That like what Rob says, I thought that was such a great communion. That none of these things can fill. That we don't have to sit there bitter. He's got more. I got less. We don't have to compare. We can be free from all that. Jesus, as hungry as he was, I got bread that you know nothing about. Man shall not live on bread alone. Can you say that? You know, I was trying to, (laughs) I was trying to do a fast this week. I was reading Daniel. I was really inspired. I was going to do an all-vegetable fruit fast, like Daniel, right? Getting ready for the sermon this Sunday. And this was on Sunday, last Sunday. And then I had breakfast with Nick Neal. He's not here. I got the chicken patty. You know, it's like my conviction lasted 12 hours. You know, it like, it's like terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> you know, it is not, you know, man should not live on chicken patties. I mean, that's a different story, right? It's so hard, right? But it's a battle that we fight to keep perspective of something bigger. Was I discouraged and depressed? Not really. I mean, I go, yeah, I changed my plans a little bit. But we always have to make new plans. We always have to shoot for that. We always have to go for that. Amen? I love this scripture. He's hungry. He goes, man shall not live on bread alone. Future glory. Thriving in, tur- uh, in turbulent times as we close out our series today. The book of Hebrews, you know, Rick was finishing up using this, and I want to go back to it a little bit. The book of Hebrews outlined all the great heroes of Scripture. And it described all these people that made it through, that fought through their faith and through their times, their generation. And the Bible says in verse 16, it says, instead they were longing for a better country. A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and He has prepared a city for them. God is not ashamed of these people. You know, at the end of the day, when we talk about future glory, the only person, the only being that we should really care the most, whose opinion counts the most, is God Himself. You see, a hundred years from now, it wouldn't matter, all of us, 100 years, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, A 100 years from now, it doesn't matter whose opinion it is that we coveted or curry from. It is God himself that we long to hear those words. I am not ashamed to be called your God. Isn't that amazing? That, that he's not ashamed and he prepared a city for them, a better city than the best cities that the world has to offer today. There are three things that I think, as I think about just looking towards the future and to make it to the finish line, there are three things—not exclusive—but I see in the Book of Daniel that really helped these people make it. Number one, they had great humility. Number two, they had great faith. And number three, they trust in God's ultimate judgment. They trusted in God's ultimate judgment. What do I mean by that? We'll talk about that a little bit later on. They had great humility. Let's see what it looks like. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a mean by descent who was made rule over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, his contemporary pretty much at that time, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting in sackcloth and ashes. What does humility look like, biblically speaking? Humility is not from the outward experience, just the outward looks of humility. As an Asian man, grown-up Asian, Asians are really good at the outward sign of humility. Right? You give somebody a card, you gotta hand it two hands. You gotta bow down. Right? Even the language itself is embedded with humility. If someone's older, you use a different set of words. Someone's younger, you use a different set of syntax and different words. But that's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about humility as someone that goes back into the scriptures. Humility is someone that goes, I got this situation here. I don't know what's going on. Let me see what the Bible says. Let me trust in God's word. Let me dig in God's word more. How good are we in digging into God's word? How, how good are we at knowing the orders of the books of the Bible? Let's get practical. How many of us have memory scriptures where, like what Rob talked about this morning, the, the go-to scripture. When I, in the, are in this, I am in this situation, I, I got these scriptures that I go to, that sustains me, that helps me. Daniel prays to God. What does he do? He goes, God, listen, it's your word. I want to hold you accountable for your words. And that we are in a terrible mess in Jerusalem. But you said that it's going to be 70 years. What do you think? Holding God accountable for his words. You know, Rick handed out those, those promises, those daily promises. I thought that was such a great gift. Is Are we relying on those promises of God? Are we clinging on to some hopeless promises somewhere else? What did Daniel do? He went back to the Word of God. That's humility. That's what the biblical definition of humility is. Going back to God, prayer, petition, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. We need to be a people deeply rooted in God's Word. And I'm not talking about just some intellectual practice. I'm talking about practicing What scripture teaches. And believing what scriptures talk about. I pray to the Lord my God. And I confess. Lord the great and awesome God. Who keeps his covenant of love. With those who love him. And keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away. From your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants. And the prophets. Who spoke in your name to our kings. Our princes our ancestors and to all the people of the land. What's the operative word here? We. Daniel was an awesome dude. But he himself says, What? I messed up. We messed up together. Yes, the world is evil. Revelation 12. But you know what? We have our part in this as well. You know, I think as we mature as people, one of the greatest things that we can do. And it's not just our age that really counts our maturity or, or we look at. It's, it's really, I think, the ability to take responsibility is a sign of maturity. The ability to go back and not blame things, but the ability to go back and go, you know what, I had my hand in this as well. That was my fault as well. You know, 2008 was a watershed year for us here in America. That was the year that the Great Recession started, right? People lost home, people lost a lot of money in their retirement. Old people had to come back to go to work. They had to come back and get jobs to supplement their income because of just the stock market crash. Lena and I had some money that, ironically, we only had money that's when our problems began. You know, we were on a mission field for a long time and Lena's father passed away in 2004, gave us a good chunk of change. And what happened was that, you know, I got caught up in all of the financial hoopla of the day, right? Was what? Real estate, right? To get into the real estate market, you know, to, to buy these homes. And, you know, we're, we're a capitalist country, right? Let the capital work for you. So we took that money we were we were still in the mission field and put it in real estate. We bought a ton of homes. We started off with having an incredible amount of wealth. To our names, went from that to owing the banks five hundred thousand dollars, and we went from just sitting on a really nice little nest egg and to banks calling me and, you know, oh, is this a wreck? When are you going to pay us? What are you going to do? You know, I, I, I. Uh, I was joking around. I think I told you this, right? I pretend they call me. I go, I speak no English. You know? <laughs> yeah, know? I don't know. I was just like, I'm not in trouble here, you know? I've never owed this money, but what do I do? Right? Here's the thing. Everybody was in it. That was just the way it was, right? But you know what I had to realize? I got greedy. I had to say those words. I had to say those words. And people were like, Ken, everyone was doing it. That's right. It doesn't make it right. It was easy, fast money, loose money. That's why the system collapsed. And I participated in that. I got greedy. I wanted to write my own ticket. I wanted to I don't want to, you know, be holding to anybody else. I want to do my own thing. I want to build a great future for myself. I got greedy. That's it. And I lost all those homes. It took me about six years to go back into the secular world, work my tail off, pay off every single penny. Debt-free today. It took a long time. It took a long time to do that. And it took a lot of work. It took a lot of work. We have to say that. We have to figure out a way to go, you know, I messed up. I messed up. And the grace of God covers that as well. We'll never experience what grace is until we really take responsibility for our lives. Number two, faith. You know, and it works together with humility. In the third year of King Cyrus, uh, Cyrus king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, it was called Bel- uh, Belteshachar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. You know, there's perks to being close to God. There's perks to reading God's Word. You get to see stuff. That's pretty amazing. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were there with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. That's a quiet time. That's a pretty good one. That's not very quiet, but that's a powerful time with God. There's interaction. There's 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 God speaking to Daniel here. And out of reverence, his face was to the ground. A hand touched me and he set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Again, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you. You stand up, and I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling before God. There's such a respect for God. And there's such a respect for the things of God, the words of God, the thoughts of God, the plans of God. That it encompasses Daniel and it carried him from where he was to somewhere that God wanted him to be. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to your words. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. God listens to our prayers. And it might take time. It might take years. But he hears prayers that are humble, prayers that are earnest, prayers that are consistent. Humility and faith works together. King James. If thou faith... If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. We're not tested when things are good. We're tested when things are bad. We're not tested when, you know, we're dismissed around a society that doesn't give a hoot about what you believe until you and I do something about what we believe and put ourselves out there. Do people even recognize us? As disciples of Jesus as Christians by the way that we live by the way that we talk by the way that we are by the excitements in our lives there's something there about this person that carries him or her through in Hebrews 11 he recounts all these people it says and what shall we say more uh, and what more shall we say I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. These are are action words, right? Quench the fury of flames, escape the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength. We're not just sitting around mulling it to ourselves and looking at ourselves. We are born and made to be conquerors. More than conquerors. You know what the Greek word is? Hyper conqueror. Hyper. We're like hyper conquerors. And we became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. We are made to be conquerors. We don't look at the world as defeatists. We look at the world as conquerors. People who have conquered this world. I like this scripture a lot better than the next one. The next test of faith is a lot harder to me. I'd rather be a conqueror than the recipient of persecution. But they are from the same root. So some of us are going through a hard time and a tough time, and the Bible understands that. It says some face jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And it's not, It doesn't have to be physical. It can be mental. It can be emotional. Things that have happened in our lives. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed into two. Ooh, they were killed by the sword. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins and destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. That's God's perspective. This world is not worthy of these people. Are we beginning to get a sense of whose favor we're trying to curry? Are we trying to get a sense from the Bible that whose whose opinion we really care most about? Right? Are we, are we getting that theme that there's a consciousness about who God is? That throughout the day, as we do things, as we go through our day, we're thinking, we're we're cognizant of the presence of God, and we try to curry His favor. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. You thought your two-bedroom and one bath was small. I mean, it's pretty bad. Holes in the ground. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will rise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found in the, found written in the book will be delivered. You know, what's depressing about this scripture is that this persecution, these problems, it doesn't stop, right? You look at it, it says there will be times of distress all the way up to the end. All the way up to the end. And I think about this, and I think about God's ultimate judgment. That people have faith, who have faith, we don't have to worry about, hey man, that guy's not getting his due, or she's not getting whatever. God will take care of all that. There's a peace in people who are looking forward to future glory. That God will take care of all that thing, and all I have to worry about is my name is found written in the book. That's all I need to care about. I got to make sure that my name is written in the book. What did we talk about? We talked about humility, right? We talked about faith and trust in God's ultimate judgment. Let me close out. I think I have two more scriptures and I got 11 seconds. It says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. You want to be a star? That's how. You want to be a megastar, superstar? You want to be goat, greatest of all time? I didn't even know what that meant until Tom Brady, right? Greatest of all time. I said, oh. You want to be goats? You want to be star? You want to walk down the red carpet? Lead many to righteousness. Get in the battle. Get in the fight. As a church, let's get in the fight. Let's get into some studies. Let's figure it out. I appreciate Lori Santos. And Lori's got a great Bible talk. Her Bible talk, Yolena, was telling me, Lori's got more studies than she knows what to do. And, then, and this is church vernacular, you know? Studies. What does that mean? We're sitting down with people, studying the Bible with them, helping people. To really make sense of scriptures. Let me close out with this. Where there is no vision, people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. I love that. The Bible went yoda on us. You know how happy he is. You know, it's like it's 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 reverse, right? I love that. Happy is he. God bless. Let's have a great uh, week together. Amen. Happy. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit Westsidechurch.com or laicc.net.